Blog Talk Radio. again as we have in the past eight and a half years now. Golly, that sounds like a long time ago. We're coming to you live from the Eastern Radio Show studio in St. Augustine, Honavidra, Jacksonville, Florida. Thanks for listening to Eastern Airlines Talk Radio. My name is Neil Holland, the producer of the show, and we have a great show for you tonight. And to all the listeners around the world, we say welcome, and yes, welcome. As a matter of fact, I'd like to welcome a few countries last week that listened to our show. Sri Lanka, Denmark, Sweden, Norway, Mongolia, Somalia, Honduras, Malaysia, Thailand, Poland, Australia, New Zealand, China, and welcome Croatia. Those are just a few. Of course, we have countries around the world that listen to us regularly. Uh, and uh, most of Europe, as a matter of fact. Uh, join us as we celebrate the life of Eastern Airlines every Monday at 7 p.m. We're happy that you're here. Chuck, would you start us off? having you with us. My name is Chuck Albright, and I'm coming to you from Retirement Center in, in Florida, all the villages. Right now, we're in a balmy 83 degrees, and we've had hours throughout the week. Welcome, and thank you for listening and calling the show. You have truly made us the radio voice of Eastern Airlines. In fact, we can now say we became the Eastern Airlines international radio show with over 50 countries listening in. We love to hear your comments and share your memories with the radio listeners from around the world during the broadcast. If you haven't called a show before, all you need to do is call 213-816-1611 and just say hello and talk to us on the air live every Monday evening. We can identify with many countries around the world who listen in with our Blog Talk Radio application. Isn't it great that we can keep the Eastern legacy going out not only to the Eastern family, but to the listeners from many different countries around the world? That's what we try to do every week on the Eastern Radio Show. Won't you join us by adding your voice to these broadcasts? Our thanks also to those who choose to listen by computer using the radio icon on our homepage at 
easternradioshow.com, or perhaps signing in at the site of our provider, Blog Talk Radio, at www.blogtalkradio.com forward slash Captain Eddie. And remember to abbreviate the word Captain to C-A-P-T. Should you wish to talk during our live broadcast, feel free to use our call-in number, 213-816-1611, at 7 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. Let me repeat the number so you can write it down for your Monday night visits. By the way, tell your friends about us, 213-816-1611. Our membership is growing. We're well over 1,000 people now that come in and listen to our radio program. Don't forget, you can listen to any of our 425 Monday night broadcasts and 100-plus broadcasts by simply going to blogtalkradio.com forward slash Captain Eddie. That's Captain C-A-P-E-D-D-I-E, and scrolling down through the archives of the broadcast. Each episode is briefly described, and we're over 500 episodes now from the Eastern Files and the Eastern Old Time Radio Series. And as I like to say, holy blue Sunoco, our lines are always open for calls, and if you choose not to participate and talk with our hosts, we ask you to please mute your phone, as our producer does not have the capability of filtering out background noises. I see by the number one, we're number one on takeoff, so Captain, let's get flight 426 in the air. Tower Blur is 650 
you remember the summer of 69, a turning point in history, and just 50 years ago. If you remember 1969, it should seem like an iconic, turbulent, relentless year. It's because it really was. The year that started with the swearing-in of a new president was fractured by war and murder, yet bombed by pioneering cultural and technological innovation. If you use an ATM shop at Walmart outside of Kansas, fly on the 747, watch Sesame Street, or use the Internet, you have 1969 to thank. From the celebratory to the tragic to the inspirational, the summer of 1969 was filled with events that could serve as a lone highlight of most of the years. Tonight, we take a look at that eventful summer. Let's start with the Cayuga River. On June 22nd, the Cayuga River in Cleveland caught fire when a passing train set off sparks that ignited pieces of debris coated in oil off of the polluted river. The river had caught fire about a dozen times in the preceding century, and though this wasn't the most expensive fire or the one that caused the most damage, it was the one that drew the most attention. It helped to inspire Congress to create the Environmental Protection Agency and left the state of Ohio and the city of Cleveland to invest more money in the cleanliness of the river. There has not been another fire there since. As Apollo 11 prepared to land on the moon, a different story grabbed the headlines on July 18th. Massachusetts Senator Ted Kennedy drove a car off a bridge in Chappaquiddick Island, resulting in the death of Mary Jo Kapatny. The car landed upside down in a tidal pond, and while the 37-year-old Kennedy survived, the 28-year-old companion, a political operative who had worked on the Senator Robert Kennedy's presidential campaign, did not. Edward Kennedy did not immediately report the accident and ended up pleading guilty to leaving the scene of an accident receiving a two-month jail sentence, which was suspended and temporary uh, driving ban. He did not resign from the Senate. But any hopes that his uh, or his supporters might have harbored for a presidential run were dashed. He announced he would then not run for president in 1972. On July 20th, Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin set foot on the moon, making good on President Kennedy's challenge issued in 1961 to, as paraphrased, land a man on the moon and return him back safely to Earth before the decade is out. The Apollo 11 mission, which consisted of Mike Collins, in addition to Armstrong and Aldrin, was the accumulation of a decade of work that involved tragedy in addition to the ultimate accomplishment. The United States made incremental progress with each venture into space, suffering a setback in 1967 when Apollo 1's crew was killed in a fire during a launch simulation. NASA halted manned flight for more than 20 months after the accident. And by 1969, everything was back on track, 
In March, the Apollo 9 mission tested the lunar landing module, and in May, Apollo 10 orbited above the moon in the final test run. That set the stage for Armstrong's immortal words televised live back home to Earth. Quote, it's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. Jim? Thank you. The Manson family murders. In July and August, eight people were killed by Charles Manson and his followers as part of, quote, Helter Skelter, end quote. A war that Manson told his followers would happen in the summer of 1969. The first murder, that of music teacher Gary Hinman, took place in July. And a little more than a week later, five people were killed at the home of director Norman Roman rather, Polanski and actress Sharon Tate. Polanski was not at home at the time of the attack, but Sharon Tate was, as was the writer Wojciech Przlitskow, coffee heiress Abigail Folger, celebrity hairstylist Jay Sebring, and a friend of the family's gardener named Steve Parent. They were all murdered by Manson's followers, dubbed the, quote, family, end quote. The next night, Manson led a group of his followers to the home of supermarket executive Leo LaBlanca, where they killed him and his wife, Rosemary. Manson and his family were arrested in October, and in early 1971, Manson and some of his followers were sentenced to life in prison. Mike? a dream last night What a lovely dream it was I dreamed we all were alright Happy in a land of ours Why did everybody laugh when I told them my dream That's where everybody went to. They flew up to Woodstock without airplanes. But from August 15th to the 18th in Bethel, New York, uh, the Woodstock Music and Air Fair drew about a half a million people at Max Yasker's Dairy Farm for a week of three free concerts. Heavy rains didn't dampen the spirit of the people who made the trip or the 32 musicians who performed. Those performers include Creedence Clearwater Revival, the first big-name band to sign in on that legend and festival, uh, festival uh, credibility, Richie Havens, who kicked off the weekend Friday evening with a 45-minute set, and Jimi Hendrix, the final performer of the weekend on, on that next Monday morning. Uh, on August 18th, Hurricane Camille made landfall along the Mississippi Gulf Coast as one of only three hurricanes in history to hit the United States as a Category 5 storm, the most powerful designation. The storm 
destroyed buildings and knocked down trees and power lines in Mississippi and Alabama and caused high tides and damaged property on, on flooded roads. Winds were well over 100 miles per hour, but exact numbers aren't really known because the storm destroyed all the wind instruments in the area when it made landfall. The storm killed 143 people in Alabama, Mississippi, and Louisiana, and another 153 died from catastrophic flooding in Virginia. Almost 9,000 others suffered injuries from the hurricane. The Stonewall Riots. The summer began with some of the tumult that characterized earlier years in the decade. On June 28th, in New York City's Greenwich Village, police raided the Stonewall Inn, a gay club. People routinely checked gay clubs for, their act, for any activities they could cast under their wide net of disorderly conduct. Police made 13 arrests for alcohol violations as well as for violations of New York State's gender-appropriate clothing statute. Customers and residents of the neighborhood began to gather at the Stonewall Inn, angry about the police's rough handling of patrons and the overall harassment by officers. The gathering resulted in a violent riot that morning, and then over the next five days, protesters gathered, sometimes numbering in the thousands. The uprising led to the creation of a number of gay rights organizations and served as a unifying force for LGBT activism. And Super Bowl three. In the sports world, the year is broken, bookended by a couple of underdog stories from New York. On January 12th, the New York Jets upset the Baltimore Colts in Super Bowl three, the third AFL-NFL championship game, but the first to go by what would become the iconic name Super Bowl. The Jets beat the heavily favored Colts 16-7, to becoming the first AFL team to beat an NFL team and adding legitimacy to the merger between the two leagues. The win also backed up Jets quarterback Joe Namath's guarantee the week leading up to the Super Bowl that the Jets would win the game. Nixon is sworn in. Richard M. Nixon was sworn in as 37th President of the United States on January 20th, ending in a tumultuous decade with what would end up as one of the country's most tumultuous presidencies. In 1973, Vice President Spiro Agnew would resign, facing a charge of income tax evasion, and in 1974, Nixon would resign from the presidency after the Watergate scandal. In April, Sirhan Sirhan was convicted for shooting Robert Kennedy in June of 1968. Sirhan was given the death penalty, although California abolished capital punishment in 1972 and sentence was commuted to life in prison. Sirhan, vocal in the opposition to Israel, shot and killed Kennedy, who expressed support for Israel while campaigning for the Democratic presidential nomination at a gathering in Los Angeles after winning the California primary. On July 5th, a man phoned the Viola Police Department in California to report and claim responsibility for shooting a couple the day before. The caller also took credit for a number of, of two 
high school students on December the 20th, 1968, in Bianca, California. The caller was not found, but three weeks later, letters were received at Viola Times Herald, the San Francisco Chronicle, and the San Francisco Examiner, taking credit for the killings. On August 7th, another letter was received at the San Francisco Examiner with a salutation, quote, Dear Editor, this is the Zodiac speaking. Letters and calls from the Zodiac killer continued into the 70s, as did the killings and the abductions. The Zodiac claimed responsibility for 37 deaths, but investigators could only confirm five, plus two attempted murders. By the late 70s, the killer seemed to have vanished. The police still doesn't know who the killer's identity. Jim? First Vietnam troop withdrawal. The United States troop totals in Vietnam reached their peak in April. This was 543,400. But a few months later, starting on July 7th, America commenced disengagement from the Vietnam War. The battalion of the 9th the infantry division, 5,814 soldiers, would be the first of 25,000 who would be withdrawn from Saigon. On July 25th, President Nixon further signaled a drawdown of troops from the country. He formalized the so-called Nixon Doctrine in an address to the nation on November 3, 1969. There would be even more infamous in the withdrawal, however, the last troops would not leave Vietnam until January of 1973. The 2-1 pitch. There's a fly ball hit out to left, waiting is Jones, the Mets of the world champion. Gary Kuzman being my... <laughs> that was the Miracle Mets. <clears throat> it was New York on top of the sports world once again when the Miracle Mets won the World Series, upsetting the Baltimore Orioles on October 16th on baseball's biggest stage. The Mets celebrated as lovable losers had never had a winning season since their inception in 1962. They won 100 games in 1969 regular season, and though the Orioles won 109 games, the Mets won the World Series four games to one. Just two months after the New York City celebrated the Apollo 11 crew with a ticker tape parade, there was another such parade. This one was for the World Series champions, the New York Mets. And then we had in 69, the, the My Lai Massacre revealed. Through what became known as the My Lai Massacre, happened in March of 1968, and it was not revealed to the public until November 1969, when a soldier spoke to a, to the journalist to a journalist called Seymour Hirsch about it. Uh, Ron Rittenhauer was an American soldier who heard about the massacre but had not participated in it and had appealed to the different levels of the government to talk about it because it received no response before he had spoken or smoked, as we might say, with Hirsch. The report said that 504 people were killed in the company of American soldiers in the village of My Lai. And My Lai was located just south of Da Nang during the Vietnam War, and Army officials tried to cover it up. After the report, the Army ordered an inquiry, and the report recommended 28 officers be charged for their involvement. 
And the fact was that 14 of them were charged, but none of them were convicted. First draft. Even as the United States was conducting troop withdrawals, on December the 1st, the country held the first draft lottery since World War II. Each birth date drawn from a lottery was assigned a number from 1 to 365, determining the order by which men born between 1944 and 1950 would be called to service. The draft came two weeks after the moratorium march on Washington, which attracted more than 500,000 demonstrators against the war. ARPANET. A major technological innovation came with ARPANET, which became the basis for the Internet. The Advanced Research Projects Agency, ARPA, funded the project with the goal of sharing information over great distances. In October, the first successful message was sent from UCLA's Network Measurement Center to the Standard Research Institute. Before long, the University of California, Santa Barbara, and the University of Utah were also connected, and it quickly expanded to the East Coast where other universities were able to link up with a network. ATM, although the automatic tele-machine made its first debut in London in 1967, 1969 saw the first ATM installed in the United States. A Dallas-based engineer is credited with pioneering the development and deployment of the invention, first used in September at a chemical bank branch in Rockville Center, New York. Another breakthrough came with the development of Unix at AT AT&T Bell Lab in 1969, which was built upon throughout the 1970s. This stable, multi-user, multi-task operating system also helped lay the groundwork for the future development in the computing world. At a research facility at Xerox in New York, Gary Starkweather developed the first design for a laser printer. He is credited with creating the first fully formed concept of using a laser to recreate an image on a copy or drum to print onto paper, although the first commercial laser printer wouldn't be released until mid-1970s. The benefit of faster, higher-volume printing were obviously immediately in the future. Uh, On November 15th, Dave Thomas opened his first restaurant in Columbus, Ohio, naming it Wendy's in honor of his daughter. Wendy's had the first modern drive-through window among all the fast food restaurants. Thomas opened a second restaurant in Columbus in 1970, and by 1976 had opened over 500 franchise restaurants, even uh, expanding into Canada. Thomas became more well-known when he began uh, starting, starring in his own commercials, something he did until his death in 2002. On February the 9th, 1969, the Boeing 747 made its first flight. This first jumbo jet was a response to the increased demand for air travel around the world. Boeing built a new plant in Everett, Washington, just to manufacture the airplane. 
That first flight in February was soon followed by a four-hour, five-minute flight from Seattle to New York in December. Clearly, they had a good tailwind. That was the first time the public would get to see this monster-sized airplane. The first Boeing 747 prototype is currently on view at the Museum of Flight located on Boeing Field in Seattle. The prototype is named after the city of Everett, Washington. It is the city of Everett where it was built. Right. And then we went to a to a faster note here. It was the Concorde test. Another milestone took place in the air March 2nd when the first Concorde made its test flight in France. It took off from Toulouse and successfully uh, was flown by a test pilot, Andre Turat, Turcat. It lasted 27 minutes. The plane's speed during the test never exceeded 300 miles per hour, though the plane could fly at speeds more than 1,300 miles per hour. Cutting the flying time between London and New York by more for, to more than seven hours to about three and a half hours. The plane itself never took off as the way it, they had hoped it to. It became flying commercially in 1976 and had its final flight in 2003. The Artificial Heart. On April 4th in Houston, the world's first artificial heart was implanted at St. Luke's Hospital. The device was given to a 47-year-old man who was dying of heart failure and waiting for a transplant. It kept him alive for three days until a human heart was available. The Liada Cooley Artificial Heart was named for Dr. Domingo Liada, who invented it, and Dr. Denton Cooley, who performed the implant, and is part of the collection of the Smithsonian Institute in Washington. And Walmart. Sam Walton opened the first Walmart store in Rogers, Arkansas, in 1962. The chain had already grown to 24 stores in 1967, and in 1969, the company became Walmart Stores Incorporated. That led to, a, to it becoming a publicly traded company in 1970 and to, begin, and to being listed on the New York Stock Exchange in 1972. Walmart would eventually become the number one retailer in the United States. Rubella vaccine. In 1969, the German measles rubella vaccine became available in the United States. This came on the heels of the mumps vaccine in 1967 and the measles vaccine in 1968 and in 1971 the combination MMR, measles, mumps, rubella vaccine was licensed for use. From the beginning of what would become hit shows to the end of the Beatles, 1969 was a huge year in popular culture. Here's a look at some of the highlights. The Beatles. Rooftop performance in January. The Beatles gave their final public performance on the rooftop of Apple Records office in London. Led Zeppelin debut. Self-titled album was released in January. Led Zeppelin II came out in October that year. And in May, The Who released their rock opera, Tommy. In December, the Rolling Stones released Let It Bleed. In March, John Lennon married Yoto Oko, and they held to bed-ins to promote world peace, protest the Vietnam War, and one of their honeymoons in March, and the second one in late May. (laughs) 
Here's a story of a lovely lady who was bringing up three very lovely girls. All of them had hair of gold, like their mother, the youngest one in curls. It's a story of a man named Brady who was busy with three boys of his own. They were four men sitting all together, yet they were all alone. Until the one day when the lady left his fellow And they knew that it was much more than us Left his group, must somehow form a family That's the way we all became the Brady Bunch The Brady Bunch The Brady Bunch Television in 1969, we just heard the theme song from the Brady Bunch Here's the story of a lovely lady whose show premiered on September the 26th The sitcom Created by Sherwood Schwartz, starred Florence Henderson and Robert Reed as Carol and Mike Brady, whose blended family included a live-in housekeeper, played by Ann B. Davis. The show, which had prominent guest stars from the pop culture and the sports world of the time, ran until 1974 and boomed in popularity after it went over into syndication. Sesame Street. They came out November 10th and would go on to become the most widely viewed children's program in the world. The show featured a mix of actors, animation, and, of course, Jim Henson's Muppet. Scooby-Doo, Scooby-Doo. The animated show with some live-action versions mixed in has many evolutions over the years, but it began as a Saturday morning cartoon in 1969 on CBS. Scooby-Doo, where are you? It was a big production success for Hannah Barber productions and eventually moved over to ABC. Frosty the Snowman. Also in 1969 was the premiere of this classic Rankin Bass Christmas special, a cartoon based on the song Frosty. Aired for the first time in December the 2nd, 7th, and has been replaced every year since. Star Trek. The original Star Trek was canceled in 1969. Ending a run on NBC after just three seasons. Though it had low ratings, the show's devoted fans helped it become immensely popular through reruns, looting, leading to the creation of a number of spinoffs and, of course, the movies. Don? Let's go to the movies. Thanks, Jim. The year of cinema featured some of the most notable names in the movie world, but 50 years ago, they were just climbing up the ranks. Midnight Cowboys, starring John Voight and Dustin Hoffman, won the Academy Award for Best Picture, becoming the only X-rated film to ever win the award. John Wayne won Best Actor for True Grit, and Maggie Smith was named Best Actress for The Prime of Miss Jean Brody. Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid with Paul Newman and Robert Redford was at the top of the box office, becoming one of the highest-grossing films of all time. Other classics released that year were Sweet Charity, Easy Rider, Honor Majesty's Secret Service, The Italian Job, there was a great boat race in there, The Wild Bunch, and Paint Your Wagon. And for the book side of the thing in 1969, 1969 featured the release of books that are still required reading, like Eric Carlos, The Very Hungry Caterpillar, by uh, Maya 
Angwalu, I believe is the name. I Know Why Caged Birds Sing by uh, Kurt Vonette, Vongut. Slaughterhouse Five and The Godfather by Mario Puzo. It also saw the release of The, Na- uh, the Naked Came to, the, to a Stranger by Pen- Penelope Ash. The book, an erotic novel, was an instant hit. It was later revealed to have been written by a group of Newsday writers who set out to write a steamy novel to prove that sex sells. Well, I guess that's a given. Others' releases in the year was Point Noise, Point Noise Complaint by Philip Roth. Trouble with these names here. Anthromedia Strain by Michael Crichton. And Edible, The Edible Woman by Margaret Atwood. In, in, in singing, in suing the body electric by Ray Bradbury, the left hand of darkness by Ursula Legrin, and on death and dying by Elizabeth Kubler Ross. I think I got that. <laughs> protests. The year featured continued protests of the Vietnam War across not only the United States but the globe. In April. 300 students at Harvard University seized the administration building, forcing out eight deans and locked themselves in. The fall of 1969 saw some of the largest anti-war protests in history. In October, an estimated 2 million people gathered in cities across the country, as well as in London, to protest the war. And a month later, those protests continued when about half a million people gathered in Washington, D.C., the anti-Vietnam movement also saw offshoots develop in 1969, including Weathermen, later known as Weather Underground, a Middleton group of young white Americans that promoted violent protest. It started in the summer with an attack on professors at Harvard and continued in the fall with assaults on the police during the 1970s. The group bombed sites around the country. And drugs. Drugs were a symbol of rebellion in 1969, as well as social upheaval and political dissent. There were also a significant presence at Woodstock, and some credited the peaceful atmosphere there to the fact that so many people were using psychedelic drugs. Marijuana use was so prevalent in the United States that by 1971, President Nixon declared a war on drugs. In fashion, color fashion. was. Thank in you, fashion, Dorothy. color was prominent in 1969 as tie-dyeing clothing became mainstream. Bell-bottom jeans also continued to be popular and would remain so into the next decade. Hippie trends included fringe suede jackets, caftans, psychedelic prints, and hemp. The latest rule in girls' high school fashion, Life magazine said in 1969, is that there isn't any long hair and bob tops were fashionable for both men and women. And Diana Carroll's modern bouffant was popularized by her TV show, Julia. Carroll was the first black actress to have her own TV show. Cars, 1969, marked the end of the muscle car era. Cars built for speed with powerful engines and light bodies. 
Chevrolet had its own Camaro. Dodge had its Charger. Pontiac had its Firebird Trans Am, all popular in 1969. Changes in the regular regulations resulted in changes in the manufacture of sports car in the next decade. Now, over at Eastern in 1969, new routes were opened to Los Angeles via Dallas and also the Miami-Los Angeles run. Art Lewis resigned as president to be followed by Sam Higginbottom, named president. Floyd Hall still remained chairman. Frank Borman started as a vice president. Total employees are now at 31,500, and the company carried 22.38 million passengers with a fleet of 220 aircraft. And to close out the year of 1969... I recorded the events taking place in my life as follows. I kept a little diary, I guess. I used to receive these American Express books that went along with being a member of American Express. And and over the years, I kept a pretty good record of events. So I turned to the summer of 1969 or the year 1969. And in 1969, I purchased a house on Lake Lanier, just north of Atlanta, near Ballridge Marina. Those like Jim Holder living in the area know where that is. And it was a frame cottage with three bedrooms and two baths. It was on a beautiful canal lot with water frontage and a boat dock and a house. And guess what? Back in those days, your money would buy, and I paid $26,000 for that little three-bedroom, two-bath cottage. And I bought it from an older couple that had retired there. I took the kids up to the lake and bought a 16-foot Sea Ray inboard, outboard engine. Boy, was that a great boat. I taught the kids to swim and ski at this house. And I was alone in the lake house when the Apollo astronauts, Neil Armstrong, Buzz Aldrin, stepped out onto the moon with Michael Collins waiting in space in the command module. And as we heard earlier, this was a year of Woodstock and the Manson murders and other things that we heard tonight. Lots happened this year. Now, that's just some of the things I recall. And one other thing I want to throw in here is my son called me. He lives out in Vallejo. And that's where the Zodiac Killer was living. Ah. And it just so happened that my son and his wife bought the home that the Zodiac Killer lived. Oh, my goodness. My goodness. Ooh. Yeah, he and he called good? me one day, and I after they, they had bought it, and, well, he called me one day, and and told me, well, this was the one that they thought that he had lived in that area. And Mm -hmm. he said that when they first bought the house, they were doing some planning. And the uh, police, I don't know, uh, uh, sheriff or whatever, uh, came by. And um, they, I guess the sheriff had heard that they had bought the house that turned over to uh, my son and his wife and, they stopped by and wanted to know if 
they were doing any planting that uh, if they discover any bones that they wanted to know. True story, folks. True story. So it was very interesting, and and uh, wow. he didn't think anything about it. But those were just some of the things in, in my diary of 1969. Um, anything that you guys want to mention? Well, I may have uh, I may have just told a story before, but when the Super Bowl, the uh, Colts and the Jets, B.W. Wilmot, one of my good friends, hired on with me. He had a Super Bowl party. It was the first Super Bowl as such, called a Super Bowl, down the street. And there was about eight of us airline pilots, Eastern pilots, and a few of the others showed up. And, of course, we wanted to bet and all that kind of stuff. And nobody would take the Jets but me. And I took the Jets. <laughs> Listen to this story now. I took the Jets. And I said, well, my God, everybody says they're going to stomp. Give me some points. Give me three touchdowns, four touchdowns. <laughs> I mean, it, it, we, people don't even want to come up and think about the Jets winning. And they wouldn't do that. <laughs> but we, we ended up with the bets and everything. I said, well, okay, well, let it to halftime. Let me choose to double the bet. Now, why in the world I said that, I don't know. But at the halftime, <laughs> Jets were winning. And I said, okay, guys, all your bets are doubled. <laughs> and I was like, moans and groans. And guess what? I want about $150. Everybody wow. in there was a loser except me. And Jim Do you know what the quarterback, who the quarterback was of the, of the Colts? Joe, uh, yes. Oh, uh, golly. I'm, got a, one of my famous middle blocks. Johnny. Uh, Johnny United. Johnny United. Yes, right. Johnny United. Joe Naples, of course, yeah. And uh, oh. I mean, <laughs> that's the best bet I ever made. But uh, except when I married Carrie, I guess. But uh, I tell you, when you're in a room with about eight guys and all of them are losing you a wedding, man, you're on top of the world. Yeah. And they paid up too. I mean, it was serious. Anyone else? Hundred dollars bought some back in those days. Neil, I sent in a a, a little thing on my net. Uh, what I was yeah. doing. It's a, you know, it's about a paragraph or so. Do you mind me reading it? No, I don't mind at all. Yeah, just tell us. Well, this is uh, this is my life, so to speak, in that era. I just got out of the service. I came back from Vietnam in 1968, and I got married same year, a little bit later on, and I went to work for the Miami Herald. It's uh, downtown by the ocean. After working some odd jobs, I got on with Pan American Airlines and started a school for my A&P license, going to school a half a day in the upper part of their hangar, their big hangar on 36th Street. And then I would go down on the floor and, with a licensed mechanic, and I'd work for four hours uh, for that day. My wife and I, we bought our first home. It was $25,000. It was a two-bedroom one bath uh, house with a carport that had been turned into a family room. And I stayed with Pan Am for about three years. Got on with Eastern Airlines in 1973 and worked in the Boeing 727 DC-9 hangar for a few years. And then I was transferred to the L-1011 big hangar um, on the corner there and, until I was transferred uh, later on to technical service. 
uh, as a supervisor. I stayed uh, with them for five years and was promoted to work manager in the engine overhaul building. But I was very disillusioned with the management at that time and how they were running the, 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 the overhaul system there. So about a year later, I resigned and I went back to work as uh, on, back on the floor for a while. And then uh, um, later on, uh, I was about a year, I was transferred to the Miami Terminal, and I stayed there until 1989. I was laid off with most of the other people. Uh, I've been in the reserves as an aircraft ground controller, so I was um, going to go on with them permanently. They, they offered me a job as a munitions supervisor and inspector. Uh, later on that year, I retired from the Air Force Reserves and kind of stayed on with a civilian for six more years. But as everybody knows, I'm retired 2007. I now live in a great place, retirement community. Everybody ought to know about the villages by now. We we do nothing but play golf and go bowling. And I, I guess we haven't missed any bar within 40 miles of the place. But it's uh, <laughs> a great place to live, and it sure makes you younger. So well, that's Chuck, kind of a Chuck, short story there. one thing I'd like to know is uh, I wonder what the villages looked like in 1969. I'll tell you what we've been uh, we've been in business for 45 years, so you have to do a little math. Uh, when I came here, which was 13 years ago, um, there was only two sections. Um, one that was up north of me, which is called Spanish Springs, and the one I'm living in was just starting. And we only had about. 35,000 people then, and probably somewhere in the 15 to 20,000 homes, and probably only about 25 golf courses. So you can see over the years, we now have uh, 135,000 people. Uh, we have over 65,000 homes of different models and makes, and they range from uh, probably about 80000 to, I think the last big one was $1.6 million. And we have 53 golf courses and 13 country clubs <laughs> and anything else that makes sure you can well, smile Chuck, on your face. Chuck, Our two you will be on the Chamber of Commerce there. <laughs> sure, sure, but we have two new residents on our group here. And I'm sure they can back me up on some of these stories. <laughs> Don and Yeah, Courtney. well, my, yeah. my brother used to live up here um, 19 years ago. And when we came up, uh, Chuck's house wasn't there. And the house that I'm living with in now was not there. So that will <laughs> show you how much development has come along. And every time you come up here... There'd be a new section. You wouldn't even know where it was, and you'd be riding around. You had no idea where you were going now because it just got bigger and bigger. But um, in 1969, I was living in Malden. I was close to my father after my uh, mother died, and my sister lived there. And uh, my daughter was seven years old, uh, making her first communion. And after 
after that, of course, I had gone back to work when my mother was alive and she watched my daughter. And we went, you know, my daughter went to nursery school every day and would cry in the bus and tell them I was a bad mother and yell, don't leave me, don't let them take me. So I was a, not a bad mother, but I was a hard-working mother and saving to get our new home. So we had a year to go, and we did. We moved in 1971, I think it was. And my late husband and I, we bought uh, a new home up in Reading, Match, which was supposed to be a little bit more elite than where we were. So we thought we were in seventh heaven at that time. And we used to square dance a lot, so we had a great uh, deal of fun doing that at, twice a week. So we kept ourselves very busy and then moved. So back to very someone else so they can tell this story. Well, I want to I find out where Carrie's from originally. Carrie Holder. Where are you from? Hey, I was just trying to recall 1969. I was in the 10th grade, and I <laughs> remember, and I was 16 years old, and I just had my driver's license. And uh, one day my daddy said to me, he says, I found a car for you, but you're going to have to pay for it yourself. So <laughs> I did, and it was a 1969 sky blue fastback Mustang. Wow. And I was in heaven <laughs> for the rest yeah. of my high school days. But I did pay for it myself. After school, I bet you wish you had it now. Yeah. <laughs> I would love to find out where, where it ended up. Yeah, that was <laughs> beautiful. Wow. Collectors, that car's worth, what, a quarter of a million dollars. When did yeah, it first come out? 50, 59 or 54? Oh, the, the first Mustang? The Mustangs. When I did thought it first was 65. Maybe it 64? was. Yeah, I guess it was. 65. Yeah, first Mustang was 65. Wow. 65. Yeah. I remember that well. Wow. Neil, I got one for you. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, go ahead, Jim. What? Affected me and you and a lot of young Eastern pilots on one one sixty nine January the first nineteen sixty nine. What happened that affected me and you and a lot of other young Eastern pilots? Wow. Well, I would. That's the sixty nine. Thought of a biggie. One one sixty nine. Was that the merger? Was that the merger? No, no merger. No, no. <laughs> Yeah, uh, you other guys aren't going to understand it, but when I tell Neil, he'll know exactly what I'm talking about. Well, it wasn't when seat swapping swapping. stopped, was it? Seat swapping. That's exactly what it was. (laughs) One one sixty nine. We did away with seat swapping, and and when you went to the airport, you were co-pilot. You flew co-pilot all the time. Now tell them what seat swapping is. Seat swapping is where the on the jet aircraft. It had to be on the jet aircraft. And you had a captain in the left seat, and then you had a co-pilot or first officer and a second officer. And the second officer was really a flight engineer. He had to have a flight engineer's license. And the co-pilot was actually a pilot. But he was also a second officer and a flight engineer. So what it worked out is that to give these guys, to get guys to come to work for the Eastern, they said, you can come in and start in the right seat, but sometimes you'll be in the back seat. And, of course, uh Okay, you know, I want the job bad, I'll take it. But so when you went to work, you know, if you flew a three-day trip, normally the captain would be in the left seat, of course, and then the senior co-pilot would be the co-pilot seat or first officer, 
and the junior guy would be back here. The second day, you swapped seats, and then you flew engineer, and the junior, uh, junior guy flew first officer. And then the third day, you flop back around. This is the way it normally works. But wow. a lot of guys, the senior guys didn't want to do that, but I did. And if you flew a three-day trip the next time, you'd start out as a second officer. So it was working out even for back those guys. But yeah. uh, there was a lot of uh, aggravation with some of those younger guys when they did away with the seat swapping. They had to fly second officer all the time. Yeah. That was it. And and he, when, do we, when do we eat, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, same thing. The, uh, and the, do you remember the, the 240, what was it, because, the, two, huh? the 242 group, what was that, is Jim Holder all about? The two, it was a two, two something. The 272, 272. 272 that group, was a whole yeah. different, that was a whole different deal. Uh, this they were started actually before me and you came along, and they were yeah. basically uh, Martin and Conver, and in some cases Electra. Uh, co-pilots, and the, and the airline was going through that big strike and getting, you know, the flight engineers and all that, and to keep the airline going, they took guys uh, like Bud Robbins, you know, or, you know Bob Holden, you know, you, we know who they were. They took them out and sent them to flight engineer school, and they became flight engineers on the Connie and the DC-7 and a few on the Electra, and when I came to work for Eastern, I was the first co-pilot, and we weren't first officers on the props. I was a co-pilot, and these guys had three or four years were flying flight engineer, and there wasn't no seat swapping or nothing. And they were out there kicking tires in Chicago in the winter, and they weren't very happy when this young guy yep. like me yep. and like Neil was sitting in there staying warm. That's uh, right. But by God, about two years later, it all shut down, and we were out there pre-flight in the ice and snow and all that kind of stuff. Remember the days. Uh, I was the guy yeah. in the icing bucket, so left that one off. <laughs> you were spraying a mad flight of... engineer if you was in Chicago because, oh, they weren't too bad. I only flew with one guy that was really PO'd about it, and uh, most of the others, you know, turned out to be some of my best friends in later life by Bob Holden and Bud Robbins and some yeah. others. Yeah, yeah. What about you, well, John? What were you doing? Yeah. I was, uh, I was over in uh, Freeport at the King's Inn with 30 travel agents from France. Oh, tough life. We, yeah. Uh, we had a, a small TV in the VIP room in the hotel and watched the uh, watch Neil step on the moon. That's you know. Yeah, Sound like right. a tough job. Yeah. <laughs> it was the, let me tell you something. That was the best job that I had in my whole life. Yeah. Really. Sounds like it. Yeah. yeah. You could only it live. It wasn't again. even. Wasn't even a job. I mean, no. it's one of those things. People ask me what I did for a living. I just tell them nothing. They always paid me to do what I like to do. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Don, I you know, guess most, you had a few yellow birds. Oh yeah. <laughs> yep. Chuck, Some I think hurt. most in the airline business thought the same way. It was a great place to work. Yeah. They paid us to do this. <laughs> they paid us to do it. Well, uh, wraps up a lot of time there, and I want to move along with uh, Dorothy telling us about what's going on. Coming up, okay. future shows, sponsors, uh, and what have you. Yes, well, uh, we had a, a note from one of our uh, members, Bob Roba, 
Uh, he worked at a, a Miami ROA, SLQ, and GNV, and he wrote, Hi, Dorothy. Hope all is well. I really enjoyed listening to the show. Now that I've figured out how easy it is to listen to podcasts, the letter from Rickenbacker was fantastic. Should be required reading for every American. I thought that was nice to put on. It kind of lets everyone know what type of a show that we're running and what even the from the Eastern Files all, are all alike. Uh, our sponsors, we so appreciate all of those, and that brought our membership up to 1,027. And any of you people who uh, have donated and sent in your monies, uh, have received the book Wings of Many and also the uh, model 737-800. Unfortunately, all of them are gone now, but we still have free, thanks to Neil and his generosity. You send in $40 with the donation, and you are entitled to receive a copy of Neil's book, Wings of Many, free with your donation. So we want to thank the anonymous investor of the Eastern Airlines Group Incorporated and uh, appreciate all he has done to help us raise our monies to keep our show going and bring you the programs that talk all about Eastern and the place we love to work for. Uh, Jim, you have your Reaper's First Reunion coming up. You want to tell us a little bit about that? It's September 4th to the 6th. That is correct, November 4th, 5th, and 6th, and we've been getting uh, reservations made and people coming, uh, three or four or five. Uh, Jerry, I talked to Jerry Hall, while, I mean, Jerry Foss a while ago, and he said that he had four uh, reservations come in. So yeah, we're pushing great. 50, and maybe end up going to be more than 50. Come on out, you know. Uh, it's too late to get the Reaper discount now, unfortunately, but... Uh, uh, at the hotel at the embassy suites, but uh, you can come on. We'd love to have you. Anybody in Atlanta on November? I don't know what it is. September the fourth. I'm sorry. Uh, we'd be glad to have you. And Jim also has a repartee that you could have uh, free. Just let Jim know. Send me your address, and I'll be sure to forward it to Jim Holder. Uh, that's, to host yeah, that's that that's going Rachel. down a little bit too. Oh, good. That's good, Jim. Yeah, I'm what sitting there looking it? at it. I say it's about uh, six or seven left. Oh, good. They're beautiful books, and I'm sure everybody will enjoy reading them. So come on, folks. Mm-hmm. Send me your email, and I'll forward it to Jim. It can, you can forward it to me at host at ealradioshow.com, along with any of your suggestions or comments. And let us know if there's anything you'd, you'd like to for us to uh, direct to you on the program. We'd be happy to review it and have our host talk all about it. Uh, Thursday hey. coming up, our uh, Eastern Memories, uh, this Thursday, August 22nd. And you'll have the um, old-time radio show with the seventh artist, and Dean Martin, so that's at 3.30 in the afternoon, and it's going to be great just like all the others have been. And any of those can be seen on our archives at the Blog Talk Radio archives. 
followed by the following week, Thursday, August 29th, with a continuation of a reading from the Eastern Files and the uh, continuation of Captain Jim Bourbon, Blackburn, recalling the MAC operation. That was a, a great uh, um, reading that Neil had, more anxious to hear the rest of it. So come on, join us. We have a lot of things on our website. We have a lot of folks that love to hear us from all over the country. So you be one of them and call into our show any Monday evening. Thanks, and back to you, Neil. Yes, Neil, so thanks, can I Germany. Mention... Yeah, go ahead, Jim Holder. Okay, yeah. Uh, crew scheduler Ray Beatty, who used to be in Atlanta, and he ended up mm-hmm. having other jobs. Uh, I got an email from him about a week ago, and he had heard about our reunion, and he sent me an email wanted to know if, uh, if he could come, if we would allow him and his wife to come. I said, Lord, yes, man, come on. And I said, you can even <laughs> join up. Next thing you know, he sent in a check and joined up, and now he's an affiliate member and looking forward Very to come good. up here. So, I mean, the, it's, it's amazing. You don't have to be a pilot to come to belong to Reaper. We like most well, I shouldn't say most. I yeah. think we like everybody. Not just most. So well, including, oh by the way, that guy in Hattiesburg about uh, a month or so ago, he wanted a yeah. magazine and you gave him my address Dorothy and uh, we've been sending email back and forth and uh, good. And of course I went to college there in Hattiesburg Mississippi Southern or yeah, now they call uh, it what University. What's his name again, Jim? Oh Lord, I wish you hadn't asked me this. <laughs> 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 well, nice, nice guy, Mississippi boy. <laughs> like the Mississippi yeah. boy. Well, <laughs> well, listen, I can't remember my name half the time. Anything with a name is beyond me. I don't know what it's about drugs or murder. Well, let's let's, let's, let's remember it's Orville Wright's birthday today. That's right. Yeah, Orville Wright. Yeah. Well, if yeah. you're yeah. listening, send it to host at EALradioshow.com, and I'll forward it to Jim. No problem. Mm-hmm. Well, I used to, me. to give them an older magazine, but oh, they're all okay. gone. All I got left is a 2019 magazine. All right. Well, I just want to thank Germany, Spain, Turkey, France, Iraq, Colombia, Ecuador, Argentina, India, Pakistan, who listen to us regularly, and that's that's just about every Monday they show up on our world map as to have listened to our show. So if you're listening out there, the countries that I named and the ones earlier in the show, uh, welcome, and golly, if if you would just uh, send a uh, I'm listening, or whatever comment you want to make to host at EAL Radio Show. We'd love to hear from you. We know you probably uh, listen in on the archive uh, each Monday, and we're just so happy that you do. Uh, you have surfed and found our little spot on Mondays, and we want to recommend also Thursdays for you at 3:30. For the uh, from the Eastern Files and Old Time Radio on the alternating Thursdays, it's just uh, great that we get out uh, to most of the world now. It seems, 
and um, we're happy to put the message of Eastern Airlines out to uh, all the listeners that do listen in. Thanks so much. We appreciate it. That's about it for tonight, and uh, we're going to put the airplane on the ground gently, I think. Be sure to tune in next Monday, August 26th, when America's favorite way to fly returns to the cyberways and the radio show takes us to points yet to be determined. This is Chuck Albright signing off on behalf of our hosts, Dorothy Gagnon, Don Gagnon, myself, Jim Holder, Mike Scott, Colleen DeFleece, Carrie Holder, playing sign-off music made popular by the champagne man himself. Lawrence Welk, and a one, and a two, and a three. Good night. Good night, family and friends around the world. And good night, wherever you are. We love you, Eastern. Good night, Eastern. Thanks, host. Great Good job. Show, Neil. Thank you. Good show. Thanks, Neil. It was great. We made it. Thank you.